Hey, it's Mark. This week's series of mini episodes taped live at the health conference in Vegas continues with digital editor Jack O'Brien. Hi there. Welcome to the MMM podcast. My name is Jack O'Brien. I'm the digital editor at MMM coming to you from the floor of the health conference in Las Vegas. My guest today is Missy Krosner from Redesign Health. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. We're on the last day here of the conference. I think I just wanted to start off this conversation with what's the conference been like for you? You know, what sort of topics and trends have you been paying attention to? It's been so great to be back. I think many of us have been kind of couched at home trying to do virtual. And so it's been great. I think what's really sort of buzzing at the conference is what is the state of digital health? What is the state of health IT? What is the state of tech-enabled health services, home diagnostics, medical devices, and life sciences? As in this post-pandemic kind of era, we saw such a huge burst of innovation, uh, particularly in digital. Uh, Virtual health was required, right? Uh, the entire brick and mortar delivery system sort of fell down and crumbled and access was a huge issue. So it's really interesting to see what's happening with the economy right now, what's happening with the investor appetite and where we are. And I think that's been the buzz of the show. And before we go into, because I want to pull on some of those threads there, before we go any further, I want to give our listeners a little bit about your background. If you just want to give us a little bit of a rundown, you have to start from the beginning, but just, you know, maybe some of the highlights. Yeah, I've been doing digital health and healthcare for about 35 years. Uh, started my career in big tech. So I was the first Google health team uh, long ago with Marissa Meyer and Larry and Sergey. Tried to do sort of a Gmail for your medical records, a consumer mediated kind of patient portal. Um, you know, pushed that, pushed that sort of boulder up the hill for about five years. Did a little time in government. Uh, so I was uh, in the first office of the national coordinator for health IT under the Bush administration. Uh, kind of wrote the legislation for the high tech act and many of the things that you see today where doctors are no longer using manila folders, they're using electronic health records. And then did some time at Amazon, uh, launched a bunch of things at Amazon in healthcare. And then currently I've been spending the last two and a half years at Redesign Health. Uh, we're a company creation platform exclusively devoted to digital health uh, and healthcare services. Uh, we create companies from scratch. We incubate them, conceive them, seed them, and fund them. And I'm really kind of curious what's been going on at Redesign in terms of, you know, we're dealing, you mentioned it earlier, with some pretty significant macroeconomic headwinds in terms of, you know, whether we're going into a recession, high inflationary environment. I know a lot of different healthcare leaders are trying to kind of, you know, carve a path forward. How does that look at Redesign? How has that been, you know, shaping up? Is it going into 2023? Yeah, look, we're in the business of starting companies. Uh, we're builders. And I think, you know, what we're really doing is during the, the the pandemic, there was a tremendous amount of focus on uh, on growth, right? Like looking at companies that had sort of a growth path, we're getting early signs of product market fit and we're investing a lot in growth. Sometimes that could be, you know, if you're a D2C company, it could be patient acquisition, right? If you're serving the, you know, Medicare market or you're working with pharma, it could be, you know, that you're essentially acquiring other users, right? It could be your KOLs if you're working in pharma. And I think what we've done is we're really coaching a lot of our companies to be thinking about unit economics. So essentially, if like an example, like if you're a company and you've launched in three states and you're starting to see revenue and you're starting to see early product market fit signs, rather than going to another three states, you double down on the three states that you're in, right? Mm -hmm. Get more market share there. So I feel like there's lots of levers around sort of cash conservation, really like working the business model. And look, I... 
I truly believe that if you have a defensible business model and you have strong you know, economics, you know, there's capital to be found. Many of the venture capital firms must deploy capital. Their LPs need them to deploy capital and they've been sort of in a wait and sit mode. Mm-hmm. And I think now coming into Q4, Q1, you know, there's a lot of macroeconomics, but I also think that it's a good time. It's a really good time if you want to get some 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 good solid companies at a good decent price it's a good time to invest in the segment and i guess that kind of leads into a question i have as it relates to our audience and we were talking just before we hopped on air here about how it's primarily pharma and biotech brands are being represented by these marketers really kind of curious you know what you would advise them in terms of maybe strategy going forward because a lot of them are looking at you know the the market that's out there and saying, like, how do we best position these brands and how we differentiate them? I don't know, you know, just given your background, if there's any sort of advice that you would pass along to them. Yeah, I mean, look, digital therapeutics is super interesting still. You know, you've got some category makers that have already gotten funding and they're trying to sort of find their way in the market. These are folks that are creating like digital companions to a therapeutic, a drug, right? Uh, We have a great company called Calibrate, which is essentially a weight loss company. And uh, you have to be like, you know, a, a, a overweight and have a high BMI to qualify, but it's using a, a GLP-1 drug to reset your metabolism. Um, we've built an entire virtual medical program around the drug. It's been highly successful. Um, I mean, we have about 20 million members that are fully subscribing and, you know, the cohort, the amount of weight loss and sustained weight loss has just been magnificent and people don't need to even actually stay on the drug. They're rolling off the drug and they're in the virtual sort of, you know, nutrition program, behavioral health program, dealing with all their docs. And I'm kind of curious when you talk about the digital therapeutics space, how do you see that evolving going into the future? Because I've seen a lot of booths and, and speakers here talking about that space. So there's obviously a lot of energy and momentum, but what does that ultimately turn into in your estimation? I mean, I think that what, what's unfortunately been the issue, I mean, there's a lot of really interesting things happening in cancer and liquid biopsy. There's a lot of really interesting things happening in like trying to get, you know, drug targets moving faster through AI and technology platforms. There's a lot of, a lot of like pockets of digital in life sciences. There's, you know, virtual trials. That's super interesting. We're looking at that space. I think what what ultimately pharma and life sciences needs to think about when it comes to digital is how do you actually build a full end-to-end solution so that you're not just trying to sort of like get a drug to market and then like launch it and create market share. You're trying to figure out like, how does the patient use this drug? When does the patient get prescribed? What are the other things that are going to create a better compliance and outcome? And that's where I think the digital therapeutics market needs to be. And there's so much going on in value-based care. There's so much going on in like pop health that it kind of, it kind of tucks in nicely if you could find a solution where you're, you're, you're basically dealing with someone's care end to end, not just a drug, right? Mm-hmm. Or a or a home diagnostic or, you know, where it's just one piece of the pie. Mm-hmm. And, and on that topic of value-based care, I was speaking with a podcast guest yesterday and we were talking kind of about the state of the union of value-based care. And I feel I, I told you earlier that my background is primarily in hospital and health system reporting. Yeah. And I've been talking to leaders for years and they're like, we're going to get there, but it's slowly but surely. Yeah. COVID kind of accelerated that. I'm just kind of curious your take on where we stand right now in the move towards value-based care. Maybe uh, some of the changes or some of the different incentives that you'd like to see put out there to move us along. Along faster. I think two things that have have moved the needle a little bit. Uh, the first is just Medicare Advantage in general mm-hmm. as a product that's been like well accepted into sort of the machinery of of Medicare products. Um, I think that has moved the needle because it is it is managing a population. Um, I think Medicaid managed care is really interesting. There's certain states and certain counties that are doing that really well. Um, what I would like to see is ways in which like 
we, we actually, it's funny that you bring this up because we're actually spent a lot of time on, um, sort of building better transparency and building better tools, measurement tools so that providers and payers can have better trust. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, when you're doing a quarterly business review with the providers that you've contracted and, you know, you're really going to see returns in three years or returns in one year, they're not like caught off guard and they're not really in this opaque environment of like, wait, wait, why am I not hitting my marks? Right. So we actually at Redesign Health are, are dealing with a, a company right now that's going to be in the sort of value based care contracting space. And we're, we're launching that precisely because of some of the ways in which these these contracts are set up and not there's no performance insights. They're not shared equally. You know, so if you can kind of create uh, that integrated relationship, I think the contracts are going to perform better. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're really focusing on a, a- very profound vulnerability that's out there in the system and being able to address it in that sort of way. Yep, absolutely. I am curious because you obviously talked about your background with uh, Google and Amazon, and obviously we've seen so many players here. I walk around and I just see, you know, real name brands that are getting into the healthcare space and might be those non-traditional players that we've seen in the past few years. Just kind of curious your thoughts on on the moves that they've been making and, you know, if anyone's leading the way or any sort of trends that you're paying attention to on that front. Yeah, I mean, for all the listeners out there, I'm going to totally sound biased because I've worked at Google, Box, and Amazon. I've ran all of the healthcare initiatives and teams that are well known in in those three companies. Uh, Box being a little bit more like selling HIPAA compliant file sharing, which was much more of a workflow productivity tool and kind of data protection. But, you know, at Amazon, look, I I love both companies. I think particularly Google's doing some really interesting things in AI. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of like where they spike. I'm much more interested in where Amazon's going to go. You know, I was definitely on the beginning team that worked on some elements of Amazon care. And then I switched over to Alexa and helped build the Alexa and health and wellness team. Mm -hmm. I think there's a tremendous, interesting company. uh, Like uh, the technology companies are pushing the incumbents, whether Mm -hmm. the technology companies win, Mm -hmm. which I do think Amazon's playing a long game, whether they win it doesn't even matter right now. What matters is that there's there's this pressure to win. And what they're all focused on is virtual primary care in a consumer-centric manner, mm-hmm. last mile delivery of pharmacy and drugs, right? Wellness and nutraceuticals. You just saw the Amazon clinic uh, announcement there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 and last but not least is, is home diagnostics. And I think these are the spaces that where you have supply, you have someone who's really big in supply chain. Like, I think these are the places that can add pressure to the retailers. And given that you used to work in hospital and health systems, those are the folks that are the most in trouble right now. Mm-hmm. That segment was already in the red during COVID. Labor, labor shortages, the great resignation, like labor costs and supply chain. All of those inflationary pressures have just caused many of the health systems to be really in trouble. And they're going to lose market share if you get these like really interesting sort of like virtual care, kind of urgent care players that are omni-channel, that are brick and mortar. I mean, you saw the Walgreens announcement, right? It's like, if I'm a health system, I'm sitting around being like, oh my God, I have I have to reinvent myself. I have to figure out how to have an omni-channel experience, be digital, right? Have much more of a consumer-centric offering, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think we're going to see some change there. Whether or not Google owns that or Amazon owns that, I just want the pressure, right? I like the pressure of like, hey... Let's move faster, right? Mm-hmm. No, and I, I can tell it's something that you obviously have a passion about, and you talk about those those four key aspects of where that change is starting to happen. And Amazon, to your point, has been 
on the forefront of all of that, whether it's the pill pack deal or, you know, their move for one medical. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting to see them, you know, applying that pressure. I am curious just from your own perspective, whether or not that innovation is necessarily going to come, because I think healthcare just moves so slowly, you know, and understandably so. It's a large industry. There's so much money at play. There's so many stakeholders. But are you it seems like you do believe that that is going to result in some meaningful change. Yeah, I'm actually pretty bullish on um, I know Amazon's had some reduction in in teams and, you know, some of my former team's uh, announcement this week on the floor. There's Mm -hmm. been some significant reduction. in the same beat, they're also announcing a new initiative, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is very, very much like them. Uh, they get very surgical and very focused at times. Um, I, I uh, let's say I'm, you know, I'm a huge stockholder. Uh, I, I do actually think that um, as the tri- trifecta of care delivery, home diagnostics, um, and pharma, I think there's a, a really good chance that there will be some innovation there. Um, and and Amazon can play a, a very long game. Um, you know, I think Google Google's going to have some really interesting things around. I think the bigger question you should be asking is, is what does any Apple, Google, Amazon, you know, Samsung, any of the big Best Buy, any of the big technology companies like what do they need to acquire to go faster, to gain market share and to gain expertise like mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a down market? What's next? Right. And does that impact the retailers? Because it's really big tech and retailers that are kind of like, you know, kind of in these sort of interesting movements for like a battle of, you know, the home and primary care. Well, it's interesting, too. You talk about like the the one medical deal, I think, really shook a lot of people up. And obviously you saw Walgreens and CVS taking their own respective moves out of that. So I wonder if it's almost a cat and mouse game, too, where it's like Amazon is making a move and then the incumbents say, Oh, we it's not just us playing against each other. There's somebody else who's applying that pressure and we have to go out there and make a counter move, if you will. Yeah, I think there's some of that. But I do know that because um, I just have many friends that are working across all the, the names that you just suggested. I think that there's been a larger meta strategy that where people have been like r- circling the wagons and talking to the uh, potential. You know, it's, it's all about market trends. True. Like when, when the market the market sort of course corrected and some of these companies that have either gone public or on their way to going public and their valuations have to reset. It's an opportune time to think about how do I advance my roadmap? If I can advance my roadmap by 18 months and I can get scale, it's worth it's worth an acquisition if I have cash. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think these have been as counter or as like sort of defensive, if you will. Um, now, just around the bidding wars and some of the valuation. Sure. But I think these have been strategies that have been in place for a while. It's an interesting read in the situation there. Well, I really appreciate having you on the show. And I guess if I could just leave on on one note here, it's just if there's anything that you're paying attention to that may be flying under the radar that, you know, those in our audience should be paying attention to. Obviously, there are so many concerns out there in the world. I don't know if there is anything that you know comes to mind that maybe people should be keeping an eye on going into the next year. I mean, look, I think that um, I think that we're really looking at, 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 at clinicians and like the kind of duress that they're under right now. Uh, and we're trying to figure out like everything from how does a community oncologist stay up to speed on all of the new sort of precision medicine treatments? Like we're trying to think about how do you innovate uh, around sort of, you know, something conceptually that looks like almost like a tumor board, but uh, like around live evidence. Uh, we're trying to think about equity in clinical trials. Like how do you, I mean, everybody's talking about how do I get you know, how do I get much more diversity when I'm recruiting? We're trying to figure out like what, what kind of solutions there, how can we figure out how to like boost recruiting beyond just sort of what we're seeing out there with some of the incumbents and virtual trials. So we're thinking about those things, but it's really stemming from like, 
what is the workflow today that a clinician or an investigator has to deal with? Mm -hmm. Right. And that and that conversation about clinical trials, I think, is just such an ongoing one and certainly one I'd, I'd look forward to revisiting somewhere down the line. Absolutely. Maybe next year. Maybe next in year. In Vegas, if we make it. Absolutely. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate you being on the show here. Really appreciate your insights. Absolutely. Thank you. If you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up. Better yet, subscribe on your podcasting platform of choice and help others discover the show. The MMNM Podcast is produced by Bill Fitzpatrick, Deborah Stahl, Bradley Weems, and Gordon Failer. Our theme music is by Sizzy M. Sohn. We're out every week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.